Baseball has moved the All-Star game out of Atlanta because they don't like a law that was passed by the legislature. I don't like the law either. But I'm not sure that was an appropriate occasion for this kind of a boycott. And I worry about boycotts and the effect it can have on the democratic processes, including the judicial system. Uh, what if a uh, jury were to acquit in the Chauvin case or come back with a verdict less than murder? Will we see that kind of boycott as well? Will we see baseball and football and basketball um, moving things out of um, Minneapolis or Minnesota? And will the juror's decision be influenced or impacted by the threat of violence, the threat of economic consequences? We'll discuss all of these issues on The Dirt Show. Hi, welcome to The Dirt Show. Uh, the location may look unfamiliar to you because I've had to come uh, to New York for a few days. So for the next few days, we'll be doing the show from my apartment in New York instead of from uh, the home studio. But uh, the Durst show will be the same. The content will be the same. The background will look a little different. So today is the second week of the Chauvin trial. Last week was emotion week. This week is science week. A little boring, a little tedious. Um, Lots of having to establish credentials and background. But we saw some very interesting uh, testimony uh, this morning from the emergency room doctor who pronounced uh, uh, George Floyd dead after trying unsuccessfully to resuscitate him. And he testified quite persuasively um, that there were no indicia of a drug overdose or a heart attack, of course, um, on cross-examination and through other experts, they will be able to establish that the reason there was no indication of a drug overdose is nobody told him about it. And when you're trying to revive somebody and trying to get his heart uh, uh, beating again, um, you go with the information you have. Nobody told him that he had been taking drugs. He didn't know the history and nobody told him uh, that he may have suffered a heart attack. Look, in the end, I think it's very clear what a reasonable jury will conclude after hearing all the scientific evidence. You'll hear a lot of scientific evidence. But in the end, the science will probably come down to something like this. Uh, but for the knee on the neck, George Floyd would still be alive today, notwithstanding the fact that he had a heart condition and high blood pressure and took a lot of drugs. Notwithstanding the knee on the neck, he'd be alive. So the knee on the neck was a but-for cause of his death. But they will also conclude that if it was just the knee on the neck and he had been a perfectly healthy person without any drug problems, he might very well still be alive today. Certainly, the prosecution will not be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he would have been killed by the knee on the neck alone without the pre-existing conditions and the drug overuse. So. It will then be up to the jury to decide whether or not that constitutes cause under the statute. The statute requires that for homicide, the defendant must have caused, caused the death of the victim. And so we get to the judge's instruction. And it'll all depend on how the judge instructs the jury on this issue of causation. If the judge says, was it a contributing cause, the prosecution will win. If the judge says, was it a the sole cause? The defense will win, but the judge won't instruct sole cause. He will probably use words like substantial cause, significant cause. Um, and then the jury will have to decide what those words mean in the context of the scientific 
evidence. The other issue the jury will have to decide if they conclude, only if they conclude, that he did cause the death. Once they conclude he caused the death, then he's guilty of homicide, likely. But the question then is, is it manslaughter? Is it second-degree murder? Is it third-degree murder? Manslaughter would be the easiest to prove because it requires reckless, uh, uh, conscious knowledge that death is a possibility, but it doesn't require intent to kill. And I do not believe that the prosecution will be able to argue that uh, Officer Chauvin intended to kill um, uh, George Floyd. I don't even think they'll argue that. Uh, that's certainly not what appears to be their theory. They're going to argue either that what he did was grossly negligent, reckless, et cetera, which would only get them to manslaughter, and the, obviously the public would not be satisfied with a verdict of manslaughter. They may get it, but they wouldn't be satisfied with it. Um, but in order to get to murder, you have to either prove that the, um, even though he didn't intend to kill, that the death resulted from a felony. And there, it's going to be very difficult for the prosecution, because as I've said before, you need to show it was an independent felony, that it was a pre-existing felony. You go to rob a bank, you shoot, somebody dies, felony murder. You rape a woman, you strangle her, she dies, felony murder. You shoot into a crowded bus or area, somebody dies, felony murder. It doesn't matter whether you intend to kill or not. I don't think they're going to be able to make that case here for several reasons. First, the two are so closely connected. The, the underlying felony, which would be, what, assault, just led to the death. And usually felony murder rule doesn't apply to that uh, situation. And there's another issue as well. And that is even the expert, the so-called expert, the police expert who was challenged, but he was allowed to testify, implied, the way I heard his testimony, he implied that what Officer Chauvin did initially was probably lawful. That is, the knee on the neck to subdue him was probably lawful. But there came a time five minutes, six minutes, four minutes, seven minutes. We don't know. It's a matter of degree. There came a time when he shouldn't have done it, when he should have lifted the knee off the neck. And I think everybody is going to agree with that. There's nobody who's going to be able to argue that after he was obviously unconscious and not resisting, there's any justification for the knee on the neck. But that makes it into a matter of degree. And the felony murder rule can't apply in a situation like that, because when did the felony begin to occur? If the police's expert is right, the felony didn't exist at the beginning when he put the knee on the neck. It only developed over time when he should have known that he had to lift the knee off the neck. So I don't think they're going to make it on felony murder. And then you got third-degree murder, which is a very big stretch, although they have a case to support them. And that is the statute says that it applies when a person endangers the lives of others. And if you read the statute, it's so clear that it means others than the victim. It means, you know, the case that we had Brianna Taylor, where they shot not only into a darkened room and killed Ms. Taylor, but they also shot in a way that endangered the lives of other people in another room, in another part of the same house. That's what that statute is intending to uh, cover. So the instructions are going to be very, very important. And the appellate issues in this case, if there's a conviction, are going to be very considerable. Now the question is, can he get a fair trial and can there be a fair appeal uh, considering what's going on outside? And that brings us 
you may think it's unconnected, but I think it's very closely connected. That brings us to what happened in uh, Georgia the other day. Georgia passes a statute um, which many Democrats feel restricts voting. Uh, as the result of that, Major League Baseball decides to move the All-Star game out of Atlanta, Georgia, in protest to a law enacted by the legislature. Now, I'm not in favor of that law. I would have voted against it had I been in the state uh, legislature. I think there are too many possibilities that the law could be used to uh, prevent people from voting or discourage uh, voting. That's my own personal view. I would have voted against it. The New York Times has an analysis uh, today, a very careful analysis, and it comes to the conclusion that the law, though badly motivated, though intended probably to help the Republicans and to suppress Democratic voters, won't work. Um, and it's not going to have an impact, certainly not a discernible impact on, on voting. Indeed, there are some who think maybe it will increase the number of Democratic voters because it makes it easier to vote at the polls, a little bit more difficult to vote by mail. Uh, but that's not the point. I disagree with the law. But the question is, when do you use forms of protest like moving Major League Baseball or getting Delta to do something or Coca-Cola to do something, <clears throat> when do you resort to that kind of external pressure when you oppose a law? Look, all laws <clears throat> are political in nature. Every time a party gets control of the state legislature and the governorship, they gerrymander, they make it harder for the opposing party to get seats in the legislature, they make it easier for their party to get seats in the legislature. There's a word for that. It's called politics, partisan politics. It's part of the reality of life in America. Uh, the Constitution requires that the United States guarantee to every state a Republican, small r, obviously, a Republican form of government, a form of government where you have actions by the legislature and signed by the governor. That happened in this case. I disagree with the result. But was it the right occasion to call for these kinds of uh, boycotts. Take somebody like Stacey Abrams, who's very prominent, probably the leader of unelected Democrats in the state. She strongly opposed the law, led the campaign against the law, but she also opposes the moving of the All-Star game from Atlanta because she knows it's going to cost her constituents jobs and money and revenue of all kinds. And so she's trying to have it both ways. Um, but Hey, there's a word for that, too. It's called politics. Um, if hypocrisy were a disqualification for politics, we'd have a monarchy. Uh, we wouldn't have any politicians left because hypocrisy is the coin of the realm. And so how does that relate to the Chauvin trial? What it shows is that <clears throat> in the United States today, many people, particularly, I would say, on both sides, many people on both sides are unwilling to accept democratic outcomes. They're unwilling to accept legislative outcomes. They're unwilling to accept judicial outcomes. I believe that if there would be an acquittal in the case of Chauvin, uh, there would be demonstrations, uh, riots, uh, probably destruction of property, as we saw in the Rodney King case. But it's also possible that if a jury voted to acquit, we would see efforts by some people uh, to try to get boycotts of institutions in Minnesota, um, football team, basketball, baseball, uh, college, who knows, uh, uh, many companies that are headquartered there. So 
this becomes a tactic. And the worrisome thing is, if it's a tactic, it's okay for it to have an impact on the legislature. Legislatures are supposed to take into account how the people feel, boycotts. It's, it's, it's part of the political game. But juries are not supposed to consider that. Juries are not supposed to wonder whether or not if they vote to acquit, or if they vote for a manslaughter conviction rather than a murder conviction, or if there's a hung jury, that it will have an impact on their lives, on their businesses, on their tax base, on whether or not games are brought to their state. That's not relevant. Jurors are not supposed to think about that. It's hard to imagine these jurors, 12 jurors in two old minutes, not thinking about the implications of their verdict. They have been told, by the way, nobody knows your name, jurors. Why? In usual cases, jurors' names are known. Why? Because we're afraid that if your names are known, there will be efforts to put pressure on you. And if you vote to acquit, you and your family may be in, in danger. So they've already gotten that message. They know that it's an anonymous jury. They know they have been told not to listen to what's going on in the outside world. And when you're told not to listen to what's going on in the outside world, you really want to know what's going on in the outside world. And they are smart enough to know that if they acquit, there will be consequences. There were television interviews over the weekend with representatives and legislators and political leaders and organizers, all of whom were saying the eyes of the world are on these 12 jurors. Well, the 12 jurors shouldn't have eyes on them. The only thing they should be concerned with is the evidence, the law, the instructions, and doing justice. And it shouldn't matter to them what the consequences are of doing justice. Look, all of these concerns may be mooted if they come back with a conviction of murder. Then the pressure will be on the judge to give a maximum sentence. But if they are doubtful about the murder charges, second and third degree murder charges, and would consider manslaughter or acquittal, or maybe they can't agree. Maybe some of them will say murder, some of them will say manslaughter, and some of them will say acquittal. If they get a hung jury, what will the consequences be? We saw what happened in Rodney King, and that was 30 years ago. That was uh, in the last century and in the last millennium and in a different world. We're in a totally different world today. And the reaction to the law in uh, Georgia makes me very worried about what the reaction will be to what might be a just verdict. You, you know my feeling on the case from on the basis of what I've seen based on the evidence. And I withhold judgment. If I were a juror, I wouldn't say anything. Based on what I have seen of the evidence and what I know of the law, and I know a lot about the law, in Minnesota, and I know a lot about general criminal law, what Chauvin was guilty of is manslaughter, not murder. I do not believe he's innocent. I believe from what I've heard, his conduct, certainly in the last three or four minutes, qualifies as reckless and, 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 and all the criteria for, for manslaughter. And that's what the manslaughter statute was written for. And if the government can prove beyond reasonable doubt causation, that would be the appropriate verdict. I do not believe, based on the opening statements, based on the evidence I've heard, that this is a murder case. I do not believe that a conviction for murder would be just under these circumstances. And if this were an ordinary case, not the kind of high-publicized emotional case that created 
all these understandable protests around the world. If this were an ordinary case, I don't even think they would have charged him with murder. This is a case where a reasonable prosecutor would have charged manslaughter and manslaughter alone, and probably would have gotten a conviction on manslaughter. But this is not the usual case. So he had to charge with um, a murder two and murder three. Will that result in a compromise verdict? Will it result in uh, guilty verdicts on all of the charges? It's too early to tell. And I won't be able to give you my prediction. I'll give you a prediction. I won't be able to give you my prediction until I hear the instructions from the judge. Once I hear the instructions from the judge, I will be in a position to give you a, a, a pretty thoughtful prediction as to how I think the jury will render its verdict. Will I be right or wrong? I don't know. Reading tea leaves, reading juries is very difficult. But look, I do that for a living. And um, um, generally, I've been pretty accurate in predicting legal outcomes, more based on courts than on juries, but I'll be in a better position to make a prediction once I hear the instructions to the jury. So I'm interested in your predictions, though. You're citizens. You're entitled to make predictions. You're entitled to make judgments. Call me. Let me have your views on what you think the outcome of this case will be, what you think the outcome of the case should be. Is a fair trial possible? in Minneapolis at this point in time. What do you think of Major League Baseball's decision to take the All-Star game out of Atlanta? Those are all issues I'd be really interested in hearing your wits, your views on The Dirt Show. Now, my favorite part of the show, this, the wits, the calls to The Dirt Show. Hi, Professor Dershowitz. You have certain assumptions that are incorrect. There is no FDA-approved vaccine for COVID. There are emergency use authorizations for the unapproved use of vaccines that are still very much experimental and lacking any long-term safety data. We had trials at Nuremberg about this sort of thing. No one should be coerced into medical experiments. Fully informed consent is required. With respect, I hope you'll be more understanding of the concerns people have. Your body, your choice. If you believe in the vaccine and feel it protects you, then you should not have anything to fear from the unvaccinated and certainly should not treat anyone as presumptively infected or contagious on that basis anyhow. And you do not have the right to anyone else's private medical information either. Thank you. My name is Michael Goldman. Thank you for your call, Michael. You're wrong in everything you said from beginning to end. The idea of saying that um, Compelling people to take vaccine, by the way, so far, nobody's compelled anybody to take a vaccine. But if you don't take a vaccine, don't come to my house. Don't come to the theater I'm going to. Don't come to my store. Don't get near my face. Uh, Nuremberg, come on. Again, that's Holocaust denial. That's basically saying that what happened during the Holocaust is no worse than making people get a vaccine. What happened during the Holocaust were six million Jews murdered just because they were Jews, not because they didn't take a vaccine. Uh, hundreds of thousands of Romani murdered. Uh, millions of other people murdered uh, in the course of a genocidal campaign. Do not use the Nuremberg Laws. It makes you look like not only a bigot, but a fool. And so uh, stay away from the Nuremberg Laws. You're just dead wrong about the vaccine. This is not an experiment. There has never been a vaccine that has been tested on as many people so quickly with as positive results and as few negative uh, results. Look, there have been some negative uh, results, including people I know who have had some, you know, reactions, but they're just reactions. Um, there's no indication of uh, serious consequences, deaths, 
or anything of that kind. So you're just dead wrong. You're an anti-vaxxer, and that puts you in the position of being an extremist who shouldn't be taken uh, seriously. And so, although I welcome your call, uh, as soon as you mention the word Nuremberg, frankly, I stopped listening because I know that there's no rational argument with somebody who thinks that compelling people to take a vaccine or conditioning going to a college on taking a vaccine. You know, nobody's ever made anybody take a vaccine. If you want to stay home, fine. But don't be an anti-vaxxer and try to get into my face. If um, if I take the vaccine, and by the way, you said if I take the vaccine, I have nothing to worry about. No, the vaccine is between 85 and 90 percent effective. That means that there's 10 or 15 percent chance that you can infect me. And that's not a chance I want to take. And you have no right to impose that risk on me. This is not your body I'm worried about. You can do whatever you want. Uh, if there were a vaccine that only prevented heart attacks or cancer, I welcome anybody not to take it. But this is a vaccine that creates herd immunity. This is a vaccine that protects me from you. And I have the right to be protected from you. I might not have the right to have your medical information, but I have the right to know whether or not you are willing to risk my life by your unwillingness to take the vaccine. So no more Nuremberg, no more uh, Holocaust uh, minimization or denial. Uh, if you don't want to take the vaccine, fine, but stay home. Don't try to go to places where people congregate and where you can communicate to them a deadly disease. My name is Steve. Uh, I was just watching about uh, your comments on the vaccine. I'm just curious uh, if I decide that that's something I don't want to do. And I'm just curious as to you know whether or not you uh, didn't let people in your house if they didn't get the flu vaccine or they didn't have a mumps, measles, rubella vaccine or any other types of vaccine. So I don't see why if we choose not to have the COVID-19 vaccine that we should be segregated from the rest of the population. Thank you. There's no comparison between uh, COVID and the things you've mentioned. COVID has killed uh, half a million Americans, uh, more than in our wars. Um, it's affected, I think, one in 10 Americans uh, all over the world. It's been a plague, one of the worst in the history of the world. To compare it to flu and to the mumps or measles is absurd. And in any event, everybody gets vaccinated when they're born, right after they're born. So you can presume that if you see somebody, they've been vaccinated from the usual communicable diseases. This is different. This happened very suddenly, and you should get vaccinated. And if you're not vaccinated, uh, don't risk my life. Hello, Alan. My name is Al from Fort Lauderdale. A couple of questions. Um, first of all, how did they determine that um, Floyd's death, his family would be paid $27 million? I wonder where that figure came from. Um, secondly, but for the fact that Floyd was resisting arrest, had drugs in his system, and had not done that, you know, what contribution to his death does that play into it? Thirdly, I see the pressure on from the society outside the courtroom, and what does that play on the judge, jurors, and the officer getting a fair trial? I agree with you about the impact on the jurors. Let's just hope that the judge selected the jurors properly and that they have been properly insulated and aren't being influenced by the pressures from outside. Obviously, there are efforts to try to influence them. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that those pressures were 
calculated to try to have an impact on on the jury. You make a good point, a good, interesting legal point about the settlement, because there clearly is some contributory negligence, and that's a well-recognized concept in the law. Um, whether he actually resisted arrest or what he yelled was he didn't want to get into the car because he was claustrophobic, that doesn't sound to me like he was quite resisting arrest, but he was resisting what the officers wanted to do to him. Once he said he had claustrophobia, the police should have just held him there, called for a big van to come and put him in a big van uh, um, or done some other, taken some other precautions. I don't know where the nearest police station was, whether they could have walked him to it. But if a person has claustrophobia, that's an illness. And if a person, say, he had chest pains and he had a heart attack and he didn't want to get in the car, th those are all understandable points. But the $27 million is quite a large verdict that certainly uh, doesn't represent future earnings or anything of that kind. Obviously, it was designed to compensate the family for the outrageous conduct of uh, the police officer. And again, although I have an open mind as to the result in the case, I don't have an open mind. My, I've, given it, I've seen enough information to know that what Chauvin did was inexcusable, terrible, um, and justly resulted in his being fired that no police officer should ever use that knee on the neck in a situation like this, certainly not for the nine minutes. So um, that probably is the reason for the um, very large um, settlement that the state gave. I'm sure there were political considerations, too. The attorney general of the state um, is uh, very politically um, active and uh, aggressive, um, but this is a city verdict. and. Uh, I'm sure questions will be raised about it, but there should have been a settlement. I think what happened here was unjust and should have resulted in compensation. Yeah, hey, Alan, Mel Hamelberger, Lunch in New York. I like the show about the Goldwater Rule, and I still remember that, you know, they basically the word 1964 was that Goldwater was nuts. He was crazy, he was insane. And, uh, okay, I grew up in a Democratic household, but the saying we had in school was the Republicans had a, a slogan, in your heart, you know he's right, and our slogan in school was, in your guts, you know he's nuts. So I figure, let me comment on that. Thank you. Great show. Well, thank you so much. I mean, you make a very important point. You're entitled as a voter to say in your guts, you think he's nuts. I mean, I didn't think that. I voted against Barry Goldwater, um, and uh, I didn't think he was nuts. I thought he was wrong. I was worried about him. He had said extremism in the cause of virtue is no vice. Um, I don't like extremism. I wouldn't have voted for him. He turned out to be a very sober and sane and moderate uh, conservative Republican when he went back to the United States Senate. I'm glad he lost the election. I think Lyndon Johnson was a great uh, president in terms of civil rights. He may have had issues involving his own personal life and in his own personal, uh, uh, the way he conducted himself. But uh, in terms of civil rights, he was a great president. And then Barry Goldwater, I don't think, would have been a great president. But the idea of uh, over a thousand psychiatrists diagnosing him without knowing anything about him is what led to the Goldwater rule. And then you get this woman, a psychiatrist, I don't know what how to categorize her, because uh, she'll sue me if I say what I actually think about her. Um, she um, is willing to diagnose me 
as having a psychosis that I caught from um, Donald Trump because we both used the word perfect. Um, I used it six months before he used it, so he must have caught it from me. That notion, and it was generated by a law professor uh, named Painter from, I think, uh, Minnesota Law School, but again, a guy who uh, doesn't follow the facts. Uh, he basically said to her that I had echoed Goldwater. Well, my understanding of an echo is it has to come afterward. I didn't echo Goldwater. I'm sorry, I didn't echo Trump. I said something uh, in defense of an accusation against me, and I used the word perfect. And then six months later, he used the word perfect in a completely different context. There's no reason to think he ever heard of me using the word perfect. And I had not heard of him using it at the time I used it. So even if you're allowed to diagnose somebody at a distance, this doctor had her facts all wrong. And that's the danger, that when you diagnose somebody without knowing anything about them, you're going to get the facts wrong. They got the facts wrong about Goldwater. They got the facts wrong about Trump. And Dr. Brandy Lee violated the core ethical rules of her profession when she diagnosed me uh, without ever meeting me, without knowing anything about me, and said that I had a shared psychosis with Donald Trump. So uh, I didn't ask Yale to fire her. I just alerted Yale to the fact that she had done this. They had an internal investigation. They made the decision not to renew her contract. She was a volunteer um, instructor. And uh, she's now suing, and I probably will be called as a witness. Hey, my life has become a life in the courtroom these days, in the courtroom and on television on The Dirt Show. So I'm happier and have more fun doing The Dirt Show than I would in the courtroom. But thanks for your call. This is Amber from Los Angeles. I just wanted to say thank you very much for allowing callers, even callers you disagree with. I listened to Thursday's podcast. And there were three callers in a row that you vehemently disagreed with. And I really appreciated hearing their side and your side. And I really learned. And I definitely changed my view and opinion because of that. Um, I think that's what's missing in America right now. We just don't allow for different ideas and conversations to learn and grow. And so I really thank you for that very much. Well, thank you. That's exactly what the Dirt Show is trying to do, to present both sides of every issue. And you're right. You can't do it in America. Look, I had a debate with Robert Kennedy. It was all over the country. It was on vaccines. It was a very thoughtful debate. Um, uh, Bobby Kennedy, who I've known for years, is not an anti-vaxxer. He's a skeptical person, very skeptical about vaccinations. And um, I'm much more pro-vaccination. And we had a very thoughtful debate. YouTube took it down said, we don't want you to hear this debate. We don't want you to hear both sides of this issue. Well, you can hear both sides of every issue on The Dirt Show, because I put on points of view that I fundamentally disagree with. And that's the way we educate people. You hear all sides of every issue. So I appreciate all your calls, and please keep them coming. And don't be deterred by the fear that um, I will disagree with you, you know, if, if you talk about the Holocaust. And if you start making analogies between the vaccination and the Holocaust, know that I'm going to be very harsh in my response, because that really gets me right in the gut. I lost so many members of my family to the Holocaust. To make analogies between the Holocaust and vaccination is, to me, bigoted, bizarre, 
and 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 so insensitive. But on every other issue, many issues, I think reasonable people can disagree, and I keep an open mind. I've actually changed my mind as a result of some calls that I've gotten on this show. And to me, when I change my mind about something, when I learn from a caller, that to me makes everything worth it. So please keep calling to The Der Show, keep subscribing, uh, tell your friends about it. If you've enjoyed the show, ask your friends to please participate. And most important, keep the calls and the comments coming on The Der Show. And please, if you like The Der Show, please sign up and subscribe on Spotify and iTunes. Subscriptions really help put this show on the air. So that's the tuition for this for this seminar. Uh, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and you will have paid your tuition. Thanks. An important part of the Dirt Show is your voice, your questions, your comments. Please call 24-7. The number is 216 710 0050. Keep your comments short and to the point. Again, the number for you to call 24-7 is 216-710-0050. Hard questions, criticisms, everything's fine. Just keep your questions short and I'll answer them all on The Dirt Show.